This episode of The Ziggler Show is brought to you by me, Kevin Miller. Come join me in my new Driven to Live community at driventolive.co, where we go beyond just listening to these podcasts and we engage with other driven people to ask questions and have real conversations on how to actually apply the incredible wisdom we hear to our own lives as we seek to transform ourselves into our full capacity. Our topic today on leadership challenges in this episode is one to discuss, and you can do so with us at Driven to Live. .co. Coming up next in the Ziggler show, I asked the Ziggler audience this question. What are the top three leadership challenges you see in business as a business owner or as an employee? The comments were varied and just so valuable. Tom Ziegler is becoming a go-to expert on what began as a topic of disruption, then recently onto the aspect of the great resignation, but Tom's rising to acclaim as he looks at it as the great reimagination. Here, with all the responses, you'll hear most of them coming down to relationships. The primary leadership challenges point to simply relating to one another with actual care. But as we come to again and again, the workplace so often misses the fact that it's about people and not just business. So we take this head on in the following episode and to fully grasp and take advantage of this opportunity that we all have in leadership. You can pre-order Tom Ziegler's new book, 10 Leadership Virtues for Disruptive Times. Right now, get it at 10leadershipvirtuesbook.com. That's the number 10. Uh, you can go there and get a free chapter. Again, 10, the number 10, leadershipvirtuesbook.com. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we expound on Zig Ziggler's be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person, then do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life. And we want you to have what matters. Also, check out my podcast, What Drives You, where we talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them, good and bad. And we dig into the very motives that drive us all. All with the goal of clarifying just what is driving you. Then in my True Life podcast, we want to get you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three of my shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit ziggler.com. Connect with Tom Ziggler and the Ziggler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. 
Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Tom, this aspect of you know leadership in our culture and in business is maybe never been more, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's everywhere right now. We, you know, information get everywhere. It's such a, such a hot topic, such a big deal, such a volatile thing. And you continue to be hit up to commentate on that, to comment on that and have some specific viewpoints. I know. And so it's an interesting question to pose. You saw a lot of varied responses. Uh, we're going to walk through them, but I feel like we talked about this recently, like how you get positioned that you continue to be positioned as a go-to authority on leadership in this, as you say, well, no, I was going to say, as you have been saying disruption, of course, now you've been saying, what was the term yesterday that you posted? The great reimagination. There you go. There you go. Disruption to, and that was a, a disruption and that went into resignation. And now you're saying a different way. Reimagination. The third way. Reimagination. So is that the light? So we go forward, read some of these and you can tell us how we could reimagine it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Don McCallum, he says, and again, this is, you know, the, the top three leadership chain challenges you see in business as an owner or employee. These are how people responded to stop thinking of business says Dom as an, um, how do you say that? Oligarchy? Oligarchy. Oligarchy. Okay. And start thinking of it as a democracy. Our political system is run with democracy. So I believe our businesses should also be. Monarchies have a bad track record in history and so do monopolies. Tom. Wow. So Don, thanks for the macroeconomic summit. <laughs> yes. Yep. Good stuff there. Uh, I think I can kind of speak to that and this is the disruption that we're seeing right now in the business world is we are really seeing this friction between autonomy and authority. And so what do we mean by that? Well, autonomy is an individual saying, hey, I want to I want to work where I want to work, when I want to work, how I want to work. And what echoes that is, I don't know, Kevin, if you've seen it, but Amazon has a ad out trying to hire people and the ad just talks about people who are like, well, you know, I want to work every day, but only three hours a day and only at lunch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So, and Amazon's like, Hey, we got a place for you. Well, uh, that's because there's 11 million jobs and nine and a half million people looking for jobs. Yeah. And that's because it's Amazon. So if you're a small business owner, what are you going to do? Are you going to uh, just hire the best person and say, hey, you know, just work when you want, how you want, where you want from, right? And because that's like complete autonomy. Well, the, the friction is authority. So, so we've got to get things done, right? We've got a mission and we've got high standards. We've got a vision that we want to accomplish. And so if you have 10 people on your team and all of them have complete autonomy, who says they're going to all work together to fulfill the mission? And so democracy, well, what do you mean by a business and a democracy? So when you come to work for someone, when you sign on and say to Amazon or to company X, 
hey, I like your deal. I like your job description. I like the role that you've given me. Does that mean you accept uh, as a, that that's the president of the democracy? And as long as they stay within the parameters that you're going to let uh, that, that each person's going to be able to operate within that system. And that's where leadership comes in. And so here's the battle. The, the, and I call it this. I like the term coach leader. Yeah. The coach leader choreographs the dance between autonomy and authority. And so you've heard, I think it was Ben Franklin's grandfather who said, people don't quit their job, they quit their boss. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who said it, so I just give Ben Franklin's grandfather credit because he's been around forever. And so how do we get this, uh, when somebody comes on the team, how do we create a relationship where you've got a top performer going all in because they support and believe in the vision and virtues of the company and they're fulfilling it with excellence, the requirements of their, their job description and the coach leader turns around and gives them as much autonomy as possible. Yeah. That's an awesome thing. So it comes down to leadership, doesn't it? I mean, I love democracy, but at the end of the day, the business owner, if you own a small business, if you make a decision and it works, fantastic. If it doesn't work, uh, you're the one who's paying the creditors. Yeah. So it's it's a tough balance. Well, and it's interesting to me. And I feel, I got to admit, Tom, I feel a little, I mean, I have, I've been an employee. I mean, outside of, you know, the little jobs you have as a kid, as a youth, you know, jump, as I jumped around the country and you get a job waiting tables or doing whatever. In my adult life, I should say, my, my more mature life maybe, uh, I've been an employee for two years. And it was two years in an uh, environment where I had incredible autonomy. So even there, and then outside of that, I've been self-employed. So I don't know what it's like really to be an employee and not have uh, autonomy, nor have I been an employer of a lot of people. You know, even today, I've got a team of people that help with things, but they're independent contractors. They are not employees. I am not managing them. They just have to provide me results. So I say that to discount myself a little bit uh, in this discussion for the culture at large. One area I can speak to, though, is that aspect of autonomy. I mean, that is when we know that that was, you know, what were the three things that people like autonomy, mastery and what was the other one? Purpose, I think. The three, the three big ones. Well, autonomy, you know, we would want to say everybody likes that, but it's interesting as a guy who's been self-employed in my environment has been with other self-employed people. A lot of self-employed people, a lot of entrepreneurs struggle so much with so much autonomy and it takes a lot of work to figure out how to get yourself to produce when there is no structure other than what you make of it or not. And I have known plenty of people who have gone into an entrepreneurial venture and even as it may or may not have success, but let's say it has success, they still struggle. And I've seen some people leave it and go back into a corporate environment or to an environment where there are more people, there are more, there is more structure and they just got tired of the decision fatigue to some degree. In that aspect, I had a kid one time tell me uh, as I was being, uh, overly 
advocate, advocating entrepreneurship. And he said, man, I just, I get it. I get it. I can make more money. I know that's your gig dad, but right now I just don't want to make those decisions and have to get myself out of bed and to go do it. I'd rather just have somebody tell me what to do right now. Is that okay? And of course I, yeah, with my tail between my legs, I said, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Yes. That's just all I know, but I'm so sorry. Uh, and so, you know, I, I look at that autonomy, it's a double edged sword for a lot of people that we all think we want it. But then I think a lot of us, we don't know what we want. So to say, I want to do it just like I want to do it. You don't, I think a lot of people, you don't know how to get your best work out. And you may want to think it's fun to work these hours on your couch in your skivvies and whatnot, but most people can't get their best work out of themselves. They do need some semblance of some structure. So I caution people, you know, with that autonomy and most of us need some authority and accountability. And I say that as somebody who does not want any, I do not in my soul want any uh, authority in my life and I want no accountability. And I know without it, I don't do my best work. Yep. So let's give Don uh, a little framework. And so Don, this is the ideal. Okay. So in an ideal situation, there is a team member and we'll call it, we'll give them the title of top performer and a top performer shows up every single day trying to become the best version of themselves. If they want to improve on a daily basis, their attitude, effort, and skill and what motivates and drives them is they have a purpose bigger than their job. In fact, their job is simply the vehicle that allows them to live their dream life. The better they do on their job, the faster they achieve their purpose and their dream, right? So they wanna do a fantastic job. So when you think of top performer, think of purpose. Now the right kind of coach leader, they're the authority, but I want you to think of the word accountability. And so a coach leader is really uh, leading his team or her team, the business, if they're the business owner, from an accountability perspective. So the coach leader, imagine this conversation. Uh, the coach leader primary goal is the vision and virtues of the company, right? This is what we're here. This is the problem we solve. This is why the community's better. This is how our customers win. And virtues is how we treat each other, right? It's kindness and respect and humility. It's all those things. And then coach leaders are focused on the goals and growth of their people. Now here's where accountability gets to be a lot of fun. The coach leader develops a relationship with each person on their team and says, hey, what's your purpose? What's your goal? What's your dream? And the top performer starts to share that. And then the coach leader says, would you like to co-create a plan together so that'll make you more effective in your job, which will then allow you to achieve your purpose faster. And a top performer is like, fantastic. That's exactly what I want. Well, it turns around like this. The top performer then says to the coach leader, will you hold me accountable to my goals? And so the coach leader has encouraged and developed and supported and equipped their top performer with everything possible with the sole goal of, passing as much autonomy to them as possible. And the top performer turns around and says, hey, I respect it, I'm all in, I'm 100% in on the vision and virtues of the company. Will you hold me accountable to my own goals that you and I have co-created so that I will be held accountable to produce at the highest level possible? That's really what 
an, an idealistic uh, democracy is all about. We have a constitution of governing laws that are higher than any individual, right? It's the, it's the, it's the end all be all. It's how we measure everything. And then what it does is it gives people the freedom, the autonomy to go work within those rules to create a, the best life possible, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But then it also says that because we are governed by a higher set of standards, laws, in a business relationship, it's virtues that the coach leader or the elected officials or who they appoint can come back around and say, hey, you've stepped outside of the framework of the business. You've stepped outside of the framework of the law. We need to do a course correction. And so that's the ideal thing where both parties, one party is trying to equip and support the other to give them as much autonomy as possible. <laughs> and the other one is trying to become the best version of themselves and achieve the highest level of success. And they're asking for accountability. Yeah, That's I don't know. Is that utopia? <laughs> yeah. It might be, Could but be. that's, that's kind of the goal. Yeah. Well, you said really at the beginning there talking about vision and virtues and we do, you know, so often this gets turned around into not turned around, but turned towards just, you know, morals and ethics and integrity. We love that word in business. And interestingly, the, one of the next comments, Susie Bradley, I know Susie, and she, she said uh, she, her, what concerned her was the leadership purpose breakdown. So the purpose breakdown, when they compromise business, compromise their principles and lose their original vision. I saw some show, something my kids were watching not long ago it was some high tech or not tech, but like a sci-fi thing or something like that. I can't even remember what it was. And it showcased this leader who had started this thing for the people and it was great. And then he veered towards power, money, making the shareholders happy. And that was the premise. Show. And that's what we often think, right? We all want to villainize to some degree. And I, heck, I'll pull people out, you know, uh, uh, Jeff Bezos and Zuckerberg and everybody in this conspiracy theory, and they're out to kill the world. I, I'm not even going to enter that conversation, but we often get there. And I feel for both sides because I understand the danger of power and money and we do see a lot of people, Tom, you've seen it. I've seen it firsthand, seen people that have really, they've really given out a lot towards that and kind of left, as Susie said, their principles and what this is after. However, I've also lived the other side. I'm going to put this out, Tom. I've done the other thing where I have made I, my idealism, my humanitarianism, my desire for that, my desire to feed my own ego, even to the point of, I wanted to be known as somebody who's not that guy. I'm the heart guy. I care about people. And I took it and dug a grave with it and let my idealism usurp best business practices, actually having a financial plan, financial projections, and actually trying to make money and literally taking some good businesses into the ground uh, with that. Now, not to say you have to give up. So you have to give up your morals and ethics and integrity and, and principles and your virtues to make money. no. But along with those, it's good to have a plan. Otherwise, you're treating this is going to step on some some toes, but you're treating your business like a ministry, which is not tasked with making money. Um, I, I was not running a ministry. It was not a 501c3. It was a for profit company. And so all that, you know, to today, I am 
doing what I can do, uh, doing all I can do to, to help people just as you are, Tom. And I finally gotten to the point too, of saying, you know what? It's okay to make money. Matter of fact, the more money that I make showcases that we're given some value for one rabbi lap and certificates of appreciation. Uh, and it also helps me keep doing it. Otherwise we close the doors and it helps me do it well. And if I make so much money that I feel bad about it, there's plenty of people to give it to. Plenty of people, you know, I can, I can lower prices. I can do whatever I want to. So we're tasked with being good stewards of it. Uh, but I, I just understand the rub sometimes that people come up against as business leaders are going, man, I want to keep our, as you said, our virtues, number one. And we do need to make some decisions that may cause some people to question, are you guys about the money? It's there, there's, there's some tension to be walked there. I think. You are listening to The Ziegler Show and this episode about leadership and the necessity and opportunity of making it about people, not profits. And in doing so, you will get the best profits in the bottom line dollar and life giving fulfillment of relationships. Next, Tom speaks to what happens when a business loses their virtues and the massive value if they will do the work to keep them at the forefront. Again, dive into this exploration of leadership by pre-ordering Tom Ziegler's new book, 10 Leadership Virtues for Disruptive Times. Right now, you can get a free chapter. Download it for free at 10, the number 10, 10leadershipvirtuesbook.com. Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Nobody knows it all, and Yahoo Finance is a, an incredible resource for the rookies like me or the seasoned investors. You know, before my dad passed away recently, Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, flew down to visit. We all got to spend a day together. And I was at yahoofinance.com just now. I saw multiple news flashes from Dave and other people that you respect. And they're hitting so many of the hottest areas in finance today. So it's a place to get a snapshot of all aspects of your financial interests. And if you have them, your portfolios. I hadn't realized Yahoo Finance is the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. So for your comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. One more time. YahooFinance.com. I live high up in the Rocky Mountains where the air is clean and fresh as possible, but then I step indoors and I'm breathing in untold amounts of toxins and allergens from paint and carpet and cleaning chemicals and pets and furniture and appliances and mold and so on. Studies show the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air anywhere you are. And in some places it's a hundred times worse than that. Well, the solution is to get an air purifier and air doctor is just the best out there. It filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen and pet dander and dust mites and mold and even bacteria and viruses so your lungs don't have to try to do that. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com. You can use the promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks. 
exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get the special deal, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Yeah, and what Susie was saying is, you know, when leadership, when their vision, their purpose breaks down or when their principles, what I call virtues, break down. Yeah. And so let's talk about this. If 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 our goal is to grow a business, what who do we want on our team? Right? If you know, hopefully we want people on our team who have high outstanding virtues character, integrity, you know, respect, humility, kind, all the things that we want. And so the way a business uh, attracts that is they say, here's the vision, here's the good we do, here's the problem we solve. Now, I love Rabbi Lappin's quote, uh, God's never happier with his children than when they're solving the problems of his other children. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just kind of cool. Yeah. So that's why your business, you, you got to know what problem do you solve? And then the virtues. Now, <clears throat> the stronger the virtues are that a business says this and, and the leader of the business and the organization, these are the virtues that we live by. That's a two-way street that's very important. Why is that? Because if you are a top performer and you have certain virtues that like integrity or your word is your bond or you know, treating people with kindness or whatever virtue it is that you live by, you cannot work for an organization that violates that virtue on a regular basis, right? If you work in there and they break it, they break the virtue, then you've got two choices. You either try to change that from within so it doesn't happen again, or you leave. Otherwise, you then adopt the virtues of whatever or lack thereof that's what's going on in the business. And so one of the great statements is it's not who's right, it's what's right. And this, again, is we, the sense that we have a higher standard. The good news is, is that when we operate within this framework of virtues, and this is how we treat people, even if short term, it costs us some money, right? <laughs> even if is, is, that's okay. Uh, we tend to attract people who live by those same virtues. 
And those are the one when times get tough and disruption comes and we've seen it all around us and it's only going to get more frequent with more intensity. Those are the ones we want on our team. Yeah. Well, and we covered this well in, I believe it was episode 943 recently with your sister, Julie, uh, who talked about Ziegler Realty and building that with the Ziegler principles. And, you know, she, that show reminded me of our one we've done a couple, I think, in the past with Dina Dwyer Owens. Uh, which uh, is, you know, she's now stepped down, but was with the company. It's now called Neighborly, but uh, at the time, $2 billion company. She wrote the book Values, Inc. And on how doing business the right way is also the most profitable. Now, again, though, I will say uh, married with a good business plan as well, because I didn't always do that in my own work. Uh, Dion here, though, to some of what you said Tom, he says, as a business owner, sustainability of the business, as the employee, empathy from the owners, trust and communication for both parties. Him saying empathy, it's a big word these days, too. This is episode 946, and it was recently, episode 933, that I had Monty Moran on the show. He was the co-CEO of Chipotle that took them from eight stores to the billion dollar company that they are today. And along the way, he met face to face with somewhere around 20,000 employees getting to know their story. Hey, what are you doing? So you're here, you're working on, tell me about yourself and just connecting with them, having some empathy for what they wanted to do, where they wanted to go and how working at Chipotle could help them with that. That was it. That was really it. He didn't spend three days with them. He didn't go over a personality profile. He didn't have them write out all their goals and dreams. It was just a, uh, you know, let's sit down. Let's say, hey, tell me about yourself. What are you into? Oh, man, I'm, you know, I, I really enjoy cycling on the side and I want to get better at that. Or I've got art. And he's saying, man, you know, being here, we're going to help teach you some of the skills that are going to help you over there, help you for the rest of your life. As you help us make this the best store that it is that you're proud to work in. Uh, this is a great mix. And under, just understanding them. And what it did is, uh, well, again, Chipotle. Well, I, there, there's no reason that that place should be as successful. I don't get it. Honestly, nothing against their food or anything. But seriously, uh, but uh, there, there goes, you know, towards what made them where they are today. Uh, so empathy, man, what a big word and what a big thing that we do seem to be missing in the corporate culture. Yeah, and, and here's the big thing. So in 10 Leadership Virtues for Disruptive Times in the book, uh, the first part of the book is about mindset, the mindset of the coach leader. How do we embrace all this disruption? How do we look at all these challenges that come in? How do we create the atmosphere? How do, how do we do the things uh, just from a, a view that creates hope in the future, that allows people to buy into the vision and say, hey, yeah, we can do that, okay? Now, all of that's fantastic, but you'll also hear people say, you know, the secret to leadership is you just gotta be empathetic and you gotta love your people. Well, those are two awesome things to say, but how do you do that? <laughs> like how, what are the action steps? What are the yeah. verbs, right? What do we put in play? And so what the book tried to do with the second the bulk of the book is what are the 10 virtues that when you walk them out, people feel like and know that my leader empathizes with me, that my leader has practiced active listening, that my leader 
has actually mentally created a mental model where they change seats with me and ask themselves, how would I be responding to the situation right now if life had just done that to me, yeah. right? And then they look at things like kindness. Shanti Philhan came on and, and I interviewed her and, and she said, when you ask people, are you kind? Everybody says, yeah, I'm kind. But when you look at their behavior, the behavior is not kind. Yeah. And so it's not whether you think you're kind or not, you probably do. The reality is, is your actual behavior and the way you treat people is that kind. And so we get into the how to's. And so when you talk about creating empathy and trust in a business, that is the, those were, that's, those are the natural fruits of living out the 10 virtues. Yeah. Right. And when people, um, when they say, wow, that leader's different, working there was different. The way they treat their people is different. What they're really saying is, golly, they're, they're judging everything off of, the, are they actually practicing the virtue? It's one thing to have, you know, to see somebody homeless and go, oh, that's terrible, and then keep walking. It's another thing to stop and say, hey, do you need a cup of coffee? <laughs> you know, it's like one is a warm thought that doesn't change anything. The other one could be the start of changing everything. Yeah. And so that's that's what we teach in the book is, you know, not only do you have to have the right mindset and perspective, but you've actually got to walk out these virtues. Well, let's keep on that tangent on on what you said of, uh, well, to some degree, I, I keep coming back to just uh, we're talking about personal relationships. I mean, that's where most pe most of this has fallen down to uh, here. I'll read one here. Brian Lynchard. I know Brian a bit. And he said uh, he struggles with owners looking at sales being whatever was invoiced this month, rather than looking at new orders that hit when focusing only on invoices, one's view of the current state of the actual, uh, says it isn't really current and accurate. Now I actually wasn't going to read that cause it was such a specific thing on sales. But as you're talking here, what I'm hearing from Brian primarily, I don't feel understood. I don't feel I'm getting credit for what I'm doing. And, and we're back to that. And we, so we could all you know, outline 15 or 1500 different things. And yet what's at the root of it? I hear him saying, I, I, I don't feel, I don't feel, this doesn't feel fair. And what would the value be of his employee employer just said, Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing, Brian? How are you feeling about working here? You know, anything that you feel like we could improve on that would serve you better. And he'd go, yeah, what about this and this and this? And for them to have back to Dion's thing, have some empathy. I mean, that's what he's talking about here. And yet, as you know, Tom, a lot of businesses, gosh, I, this is going to be unpolitically correct, but I'll say it anyways. I, I've sometimes made the reference and somebody complains about something. I'll say, man, that's like complaining about customer service at Walmart. You don't go to Walmart for customer service. You go there for the cheapest thing. And I don't fault them for that. They have made their claim out of they're going to give you the, that item that you need right now at the cheapest thing. Because of that, I don't expect good customer service. Now, I'm not dissing that. And there's somebody right now that hears this, that works at Walmart and thinks they give great, great customer, customer service anyways. That is awesome. Primarily, it's not. If I want good customer service, I should go to Nordstrom's. And I'm going to pay 15 times as much you know, for a product, but, uh, we're taught, you know, the, the personal aspect of this has been, uh, it, it's not figured into some of the products and services out there 
And it causes us as a consumer to have to look at what we expect from some of these businesses. Yeah, and I would I'd love to have a deeper conversation with Brian, but I can just tell you from a yeah. from from what I learned in the in the book and what I've seen talking I, I don't know how many leaders over the last year and a half is too many leaders and this is kind of the old school uh, the way most people were brought up is they are focused on outputs right so they like to watch people work I mean one of the one of the problems now or challenges is people's went home started working remotely their productivity went up. And now the business is saying, hey, you need to come back to the office. And these people are like, well, wait a second. I'm not having to drive an hour and a half extra a day. I've got a lot of flexibility and my productivity went up. You know, help me understand why coming back to the office is going to help. And there's really not a good answer. But what it is, is the leadership there is output focused. Leadership needs, and this is what coach leaders are so good at, is they are outcome focused. Mm -hmm. And so the business owner perspective is, hey, the outcome we need for our business is we need a great profit on our bottom line. And the way we have a great profit on our bottom line is we sell what we offer at full value, right? And we, we make a nice margin in it. And then we service it correctly. We get referral and repeat business on a regular basis we have enough left over that if something happens or grows awry, we can fix it and we can establish a fantastic reputation so that over time, when we say we're going to do something, people know we mean what we say. And so that needs to be communicated down from top leadership, from the C-suite, from the owner in something like this. It says, hey, the way we measure our business is Gosh, we've got existing customers, we've got new customers, we've got invoice sales, and we've got cash in sales. Our business can't exist without the cash in. And so in a lot of smaller businesses uh, where cash is king and it's an issue, and I don't think this is a bad strategy really for most businesses, but it doesn't work for everyone. Hey, we pay our salespeople based on the cash that's collected, right? Because I want my salesperson focused on the outcome. Yeah. And then invoices are fantastic because invoices predict the future. And then I need to know as a business owner, as a coach leader, I need to know what percentages of those invoices are existing repeat customers and what percentage are new business. Because I've always got to have new business coming in because what happens if we get dependent on one thing? And so what am I really saying? I'm really saying that we need as coach leaders to be outcome focused and we need to get our team locked into the process that gets us there. I was talking with uh, a client and they were, I'll just make it simple. They were doing about 25 deals a week, pandemic hit, their core market got an influx of money. They started doing over 30 deals a week. And then as soon as about four months ago, when the money started drying up for their market, they went down to 20 deals a week. And they're like, what happened? And I'm like, you got focused on the results instead of the process. 
because it's not worse now than it was before the pandemic for their market. They should have just fallen back to 25 deals a week, but they got conditioned to the result, to the output, instead of focusing on the ultimate outcome, which is everybody in our team can be a little bit better tomorrow than they are today. Yeah. And our process has these different components and we need to educate and inspire and equip our people to be as good as they possibly can in every step of the process. And no matter how tough it is out there, we can always be a little bit better in here. Well, here, here's a comment that encompasses quite a bit of what you just said, Tom. It hits a couple, a couple aspects of that. Uh, Sean Lang, well, he says lack of transparency parency, and clarity of vision. Uh, too much emphasis on quarterly profits and profitability as a whole. If employees are a company's greatest asset, isn't it time for leadership to rethink a few things, namely living wages, income equality and diversity and work-life balance? Do we really need a 40-hour work week? Uh, COVID has shown me that I am two to four times as efficient and effective with less headaches and even fewer hours. My sales have increased 35% as a result of having more flexibility. So here's some that's looking Here's Sean looking overall at the outcome. And he's saying, look, this is, I'm getting the outcome. Why are you, I'm going to put my own words, you know, why are you on my back about the perceived output? As you said, Tom, is that fair? Yeah. And he, and I know he hit some big points there. Well, Sean, your story I've heard multiple times. And yeah. basically, it's I'm just going to put them into the top performance category. A top performer, their whole business environment changes. They get sent home, and they're now working from home, and their productivity goes up 35%. Happened in a lot of places. So let's dig in. Why did that happen? Well, there's the obvious thing. They don't have the hour and a half commute. And so uh, uh, Bloom or yeah, uh, one of the professors that I read in his study, something like 33% of the time saved on commuting actually got put back into work. Hmm. And so people were automatically working more. But here is the intangible benefit. And that is people have more time to cook a healthy meal. Hmm. They have more time to exercise and it's easier to look good on a Zoom call after working out at lunch than it is to go out to the gym when you're in the office and come back in after working out for an hour at the gym, right? Because your core temperature, your, you know, just the, just the maintenance of how you look is different. So people are taking better care of their health. People have more flexibility to run those half to type of errands and they get the opportunity to attend more of their kids' games and pick them up from school and do all those little things. So let me just ask this. If quality of life goes up in your mental outlook, your physical health, your spiritual condition, your family relationships, and in your pocketbook financially because you're spending less money on transportation and clothes and childcare, if all of those things combine, doesn't it make sense that you would be more effective in whatever work role you're doing to the point where maybe you could get done in seven hours what used to take eight? Absolutely. Now, here's the cool thing. 
large business, the number one issue facing the HR leaders that they'll tell you is the health and well-being and work-life balance of their people. Yeah. So they're seeing it. And so, Sean, you are you're right on with with this. Um, in Europe, I think it was in France, they passed a law that you cannot send or or I don't know if it's send or require an email. I think it's require. If an employee gets off work at five, there it's against the law to require them to respond to that email before they start work the next day. In other words, they're putting hard stops in when the day ends and when the day begins. Uh, a lot of companies now are going to uh, unlimited personal time off. And basically what they're saying is take as much time as you need, just get your job done. Well, what they're finding is that in America, because of our, our mental makeup and you know, the competitive nature that we have, people aren't taking the vacation days that they should be. They're not taking the time off. They're working from 530 in the morning when they get up until 1030 at night when they go to bed. So now these companies are coming back around and they're requiring unplugging and, and taking the vacation. And what's ironic to me is it seems like this was talked about in Genesis. I'm not sure, but I think, you know, taking a day a week off and, you know, all those kind of things, this goes, goes back a long time. And so a lot of this is changing. Um, you know, here's a story back from the Sea at the Top book when it came out. Dad used to tell the story. He said, hey, if you had a million-dollar racehorse and it was about to race in the Kentucky Derby, would you keep it up all night listening to loud music, letting it drink booze and smoke cigarettes? <laughs> it's a great analogy. Yeah. Of course not. So if you're a business owner and – the creativity, the collaboration, the innovation, and the relationships that your people build on your team, that's the glue, okay? Everything else is going to be disruptive. Technology is going to change stuff. New competitors are going to come in. Markets are going to flip. But if you have a growth mindset, collaborative, relationship-focused team that loves disruption, you want them eating right, sleeping right, having incredibly strong relationships at home and plenty of rest in order to perform at their highest level. Yeah. Right. And business is starting to figure that out. I do. You know, even just you got me thinking just of the time flexibility, uh, Tom, that people are realizing maybe for the first time, somebody who worked for 20 years at a job that was whatever, you know, they had their commute, they get to the job, they are not allowed screen time or much personal time. They do it. They do the commute home. And I'll see people like that and go like, where in the, when are they going to go to the DMV? I mean, they have to make a, this huge effort just to go, you know, do some of the basic necessities of life. And I look at self-employed people and I know a lot of my peers, Tom, uh, like you are our peers, I'll say who I would say the majority have an office. 
Okay. So they, they're self-employed. They can do what they want to, uh, but they do have an office because like me, there's distractions at home and people and whatever. And so they, they have a space. So I have an office, my house or my office is probably a mile from my house as the crow flies. I can literally run to it over the ridge in about 12 minutes. But, um, I have it. I often these days, because I have a kid doing a special, uh, school type thing and I take him in early, I end up in my office before seven often. And, uh, a lot of times because I have girls doing dance and gymnastics and special things, I'll stay around in town till about seven 45 to get them. That's a long day. So it can look like, Oh my gosh, Kevin's just at his office. You know, he's married to his work and the amount of time that I spend tending to my personal life I mean, I get in here and I'll do my devotions and my coffee here. I do a lot of my exercise literally here at my office in the walls, or uh, most days I go out and I'll ride or run for an hour. And then my wife calls and then I spend an hour figuring out where we're going to get a dryer to replace the one that we did. And, you know, and the kids say, the kids are coming home, man. And I'm thinking, okay, what's the menu going to be? And I do that. And then I go shop for that. And the ability to have that flexibility within work and to see people have that for the most part, how can it not lead to healthier, happier people? And I would think that even for the companies that, do have some reason to bring people back into the walls of the business that they would make space for that and look at the people's welfare. And, and you know, and just to kind of anchor this show, Tom, I mean, here's, here's just a handful real quick. Chris McNaugh, uh, he said to be sure that all solutions are good for the business employees and customers. Ben, a lack of appreciation and care from both sides. Archie, where I work, it would have to just be communication. Valerie, True listening to your team. Many don't know how to put active listening into action. It's personal and then it's personal and then the next one's personal. And, and here we are. How to be a better leader. It, it feels like there's this overwhelming call to pay attention to the person, which again, I love going back to Monty Moran and that perspective of making each person valuable, which sounds altruistic, you know, I mean, it really does. It sounds altruistic. And yet he's showing, no, it actually made us billions and billions of billions. And yet we're not putting that together. And we have these consummate depictions of the workplace as this necessary evil that we go and we toil away and put in our time. And, and to that degree, it comes back to where we started. We're doing a full circle to the disruption and the resignation. And Tom saying, hmm. Maybe it's a reimagination. I, it is a reimagination. I, so let me, I'm with you. My good buddy Archie commented there on communication, uh, Chris and Ben and Valerie. So we've talked about, okay, so to me, the answer is the coach leader. And the coach leader, we already talked about, they got to have the right mindset. Then they got to live out the virtues. But the last thing is this, they got to have the skill. Okay. So, Let's, let's talk about that for just a second. So what is active listening? It's a skill. What's communication? Yeah. It's a skill, right? These are skills. And so in the book, here's what we talk about. And, and by the way, uh, good, Chris said good for the business, good for employees and, and, and customers. And so we have a definition of, you know, if we got a top performer and we want maximum aligned performance in our business, well, we have a definition for true performance. True performance, as we talk about in the book, is the ideal accomplishment 
of, of an aspiration, goal, or objective that benefits everyone involved. And so when a business creates a transaction that solves a problem, then that means the customer wins, the salesperson wins, the support team wins, the research and development team wins, the operations and accounting teams win, the leadership, the shareholders, and the owners of the business wins, the family members of the employees win, win and the community wins. We're not poisoning streams anywhere to make this happen. And so that's what true performance is in a business. So if the number one, this to me, the number one need of business today is to attract, develop, and keep top performers. That's number one. And that their top performers are incredibly valuable. There's a, there's a, they have a lot of leverage. They can work for who they want, where they want. And how do you do that through a coach leader? So if that's the number one need of a business, what's the number one skill a coach leader needs? Here it is. A coach leader needs to have the skill of intentional growth and goals coaching on a weekly basis around, around attitude, effort, and skill. Here's the silver bullet. And so this solves the communication problems. This solves the trust issues. This solves everything that goes on on a team with the coach leader. If a coach leader says to somebody on their team, hey, what are your goals for next year? Do you want to make more money, the same money, or less money? Well, they're going to say more money. Fantastic. I would like to help as a coach leader. Is it okay if we create a plan where we help you improve and develop yourself in attitude, effort, and skill so that when you do those things, your performance goes up and the end result is your contribution to the business means your compensation goes up. Does that sound fair to you? Yes. Absolutely. It does. And so you say, well, what is your big dream, your goal, your why? I need to know why you want to make more money. Well, when they share that with you, when somebody on the team says, the reason I want to make more money is I need to get out of debt. I need to buy a house. I need to send my kids to school. You know, I've got a mission I want to support. Whatever it is, fantastic. I want to help you get that. Well, every week you have an intentional time coaching conversation with them, asking them, hey, what attitude have you worked on and, and used this week to help you get closer to your goal? What effort, what skill? Gallup says that the intentional coaching conversation around goals is the silver bullet. That's what changes everything. I just added growth to it because I know from all of my study that the happiest people in the world are the ones that are growing. It's just, it's just the way we're wired. And here's the cool thing. When we're hitting our goals and growing in the process, that makes us more valuable where we are, which means ultimately we fulfill our purpose and achieve our dreams even faster. And you know where I want to work? I want to work for a place for my virtues and my purpose aligned with the vision and virtues of the company. And I've got a coach leader who is dedicated to achieving their dreams and goals by helping me achieve mine. In other words, the coach leader knows 
that they're never going to advance unless they help me become wildly successful. And how do they do that? By holding me accountable to my goals, the ones I set for myself. I am going to just give that a little, uh, I'm going to support that with something you told me. And I find myself saying over and over and over again, every time you said the word goals, folks, every time you heard Tom say goals, you can also hear him saying that through his studies and research that 80, 80 ish percent of people resonate with solving problems instead of goals. Same thing we're trying to achieve. So whether it's a desire or a problem, however you see it, that according to my buddy, Tom Ziegler, if, if it's problems, solving problems, that's, that's what we're talking about with goals. Same thing there. And yeah, to what you started off with, with skills, Tom, I, I, my first thought was how to win friends and influence people. That is not that. And your dad talking about sales, that nobody is born salesman. Nobody is a born uh, winner of friends and influencing people. They may have more of an inclination, maybe more of a knack. I would say most of them probably had an example that they learn from somewhat, but ultimately to do this stuff well, to relate to people well. Yeah, it's exa- I'm 100% agreement, Tom. It is a skill. And if we aren't spending time seeking that skill, seeking where am I now? Do I want to do that? What am I doing to transform? Then we're not going to have the payoff and the success of that ability. Um, man, big topic for now and will continue to be so uh, we'll keep the conversation going and uh, be eager to have that book in everybody's hands. Tom Ziegler. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Okay, friends, there's just no greater offering I can give you on this topic than encouraging you to pre-order Tom Ziegler's new book, 10 Leadership Virtues for Disruptive Times. Right now, you can get a free chapter and check out what it's about. Just go to 10, the number 10 leadershipvirtuesbook.com coming up in episode 947 of the Ziegler show I'm back with John Acuff to walk through a really clear set of personal habits for success that he employs in his personal life that I believe will really inspire and equip you till then thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together <laughs>